Welcome to the Evaluating Biopharma podcast, where we provide industry decision makers with insider access to veteran bioprocessing experts willing to pay it forward so you can leverage their knowledge, learn from their successes, and even avoid repeating their mistakes. Today's episode is sponsored by Pendotech. Here, we share a conversation between Josephine Person, Associate Director at Genentech, and moderator Ben Lowen, Executive at Black Diamond Networks. The two discuss how to lower operational costs with reduced sampling. This conversation was recorded at Evaluating Biopharma's recent Bioprocessing Strategies for Operational Efficiency virtual education and networking event. If you wouldn't mind, please give a little bit of a bio and background for our audience on yourself. So worked in the industry for 20 years, most of the time at Genentech and in process development, mostly purification development, but I spent a couple of years as a CMC team leader as well. Now I'm back in, in purification development. Excellent. And we're really doing anything from like re- late research to approval of, of new commercial processes and maintaining the current commercial processes. Quite right. broad scope. All right. So as we have this discussion on our Evaluating Biopharma couch here, uh, your case study today uh, is about lowering operational costs by reduced sampling. Um, uh, there's a lot there to unpack, and I know you're the expert for this one. As we know, there's a lot of very real consequences to oversampling. Um, and sometimes, especially in our industry, when you know too much, it can be a bigger problem than knowing too little. So what are your thoughts, um, as an opening salvo for your case study here? Yeah, so maybe putting this in perspective. So, so I'm talking about sampling of clinical GMP production. And um, I guess we're coming out of some decade using labs predominantly, like really high titers, good yields. And we, we've been living in an overflow life, like there was a lot of mass. And nowadays, we're having more of these Franken bodies, like all kinds of weird uh, proteins, where there's a lot of product-related variants. The titer is much lower what it was before, and the yields are significantly lower because we have to remove all these product variants. So we often end up with less mass than we did historically, and. We also go more and more to high concentration formulations, like 150, 200 grams per liter. So your final bulks are really small compared to what we saw historically. Um, and I guess the thing that hasn't, like, this talk is really not that much technical compared to the previous two. It's more about how do we change the mindset of people? Because we're still behaving as if we are working with the MABs, with great mass and great yields, but we're actually living in a different world. So it's like, how can we keep people from, I mean, purification, we have been very bad at this. Historically, we took a lot of samples because it's like, oh, it's good to have 
protein A pool samples if we need to do some development. So we, we take these liters and liters of samples during GMP clinical manufacturing, right. which makes the box even smaller. <laughs> and when we come to the end, we don't have that much mass. And everyone is padding a little bit, like if we need five mils to check the product quality, we take a liter because who knows, it could be good to have. It's all coming from a good spot. We all want to be prepared and wanting to have, so we could do extra experiments or whatever to solve any problems. But with that, we're creating a different problem. So Yes, yes. Because, you know, we always try to prepare for future eventualities by having too much inventory. Yes. And a lot, of, a lot of companies do this, too. So it's no different. We like to hoard resources. Like at the start of the pandemic, when it was impossible to find paper products. Yep. So, yeah. so what were the impacts then? So if we move into the impact category, what, what, well, what are they? If you're doing this sort of sampling, the, let's say your former way, the, the poorer, less effective way, what impacts does it have? Well, so the problem is like like this one example that I had. I mean, we, we were at the end sampling more or less 60% of our bulk, which, of course, you need to have extra runs. You need to add more runs to your campaign to make up so that you have enough clinical material. But we also know that at least our clinical facilities are full, so... When you add on runs, that means that there are other products that won't get in to the pipeline because you're filling it up with sampling your, your material instead of getting material to the clinic. Mm. So. Yeah, you know, in the Toyota production system, as it pertains to lean and process improvement, unreasonable scheduling leads to overproduction. And some people consider those to be the, the greatest of the wastes. So, you know, trying to shoehorn in, let's say, additional batches. Why are we doing that? Well, we're doing that because we're oversampling. And unless you get to the root cause of the problem, you really can't have a robust solution. Yeah. And it's really all of us that, like, I think a lot of us developers want to be sure we have material if we need to do more studies. The formulation group wants some of the final UFDF pool that they can put into new buffer systems to see if they can get an even better formulation. Our release testing, even though the material is at 150 grams per liter, they still say that they need five mils of sample just for a spec scan, where it's like could do with much less like everyone is over sampling taking more than they actually need if we took what we really needed we would be fine but everyone's like oh you know let's be sure let's take a little bit more and it ends up being a lot okay so uh, so we've got this higher sampling volume versus yield as an impact which is leading also to reduce clinical supply. 
increased development costs and increased storage costs. Is there anything I'm missing there? Well, I mean, we have hundreds of freezers just in our department, like sitting with these materials. And it's a little bit ironic because with the de clinical development timelines, often it takes two, three years before you're going to start development again. So at that point, we're starting to like, oh, shoot, like, is this material actually good? Is it still okay? Or should we just ask our cell culture friends to make some new fresh material? So we are actually sitting of these hundreds of minus 80 freezers, spending a lot of energy that eventually we will just dump the material because now we don't know if it's good enough. So let's start from scratch. This episode was sponsored by Pendotech. With extensive experience in the biopharmaceutical industry and particular expertise in single-use biopharmaceutical equipment, Pendotech delivers a line of pressure sensors, control systems, and software for measuring, monitoring, and data collection in bioprocess applications and other areas where the products provide a unique process solution. Learn more at pendotech.com. So I've had a question come in to the to the Q&A box. Can you provide more detail on the types of samples you're referring to? Are they biobird and endotoxin and other samples taken during GMP processing, or are you referring to VCV, et cetera? I don't know what the VCV uh, in this case is referring to, so, but I'm I'm talking about any sampling, like the QC sampling. Of course, we can't get away from sampling our um, GMP material. We need to make sure that it meets the quality. The problem is that when you need, when you maybe need one mil for, for your spec scan and you take five and everyone else and every other sample is like five or tenfold more than you need. And then, frankly, the development people, we're probably the worst people taking a lot of mass through the process purification formulation normally take a lot of of these samples at least within genentech this could be a big company issue versus a small company issue i don't know but we historically have taken a lot of samples through the process right so now with those impacts in mind you developed a series of solutions so walk us through what those were. So it's really to communicate with people. I think we haven't, we've, as I said, lived in this overflow life for a while where we had a lot of resources and we haven't really thought about like, what is the money and what, how, what are, what does this cost us? And when there is, unlimited and when you have space in your manufacturing facilities well maybe it's not a big deal but when you're starting to have low yields low mass you have to add runs it the cost just adds up and it's amazing how much this material actually costs and you will take longer to get to the clinic to get to your uh, patients so there there are a lot of like hidden costs that you don't see. So it, it's really about setting everyone down and, and explaining to people 
that it's not free material. This is a lot of money and getting everyone to change their mindset instead of yeah, how we behave, which is maybe more difficult for us than accepting like technical solutions to, to really change our behavior. Um, because everyone, I mean, we come from the right place. We want to make sure that we're not the bottleneck, that we have solved all the problems and, and know what to do if something happens. So that's why we take these samples. But it, we're taking it to a huge cost that it, it's not really, we, we could do it differently. We could do it with development material, a lot of this studies that we use the material for and can and reduce their sampling size a lot like they they're it's convenient to take larger volumes and no one has ever pushed them so we're, we're staying with what we're used to and it's it's nice because we don't have to argue about the volumes because we've done this for the last 30 years why should we change now Right. So that's where you really have to go back and talk to people and under, like get them to understand why. Yeah. And as far as that behavior change is concerned, you know, there's always difficult inertia there. Um, have you seen particular reasons why people are maybe hesitant to change in these situations? Is it because they like to have done things their own way, kept inventory so that they're always in a better situation, even though that situation may then sub-optimize the overall process? It's it's adding a little bit of risk. I mean, it's a tiny bit of risk, but, but people are, I think in our business, we are extremely risk adverse. Right. And if we historically have done it like this, and we've had these backups and People are like, oh, but what if, what if I, I don't know, what if I drop all this material and there is no retains? And what if I would do the dilutions wrong 15 times and I'm running out of material, which is like, it's unrealistic. These things won't happen. And we could probably figure out ways to, to mitigate, but we're just risk adverse as an in environments. Yeah. That's how we're taught. Yeah. And there's always, there's an infinite number of what ifs. And if you try to fix them all, then you'll get nowhere. Yep. Yeah. So it's really so to, in implementing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ahead. no, I was going to say, so in implementing the solutions, um, we'll move then into top line or bottom line results. Uh, so after understanding what the challenges were, you've worked with the teams, you've helped them to understand what the challenges are and how everyone's behavior has in some way had a measurable impact to the overall business. You want to minimize sampling from GMP runs, use development material for sampling. And so you get to this point where now you can see some results out of the changes that you put in place. And I think it's important to, to discuss those. So what did you see for results? I mean, the results were that people were 
accepted that, okay, we're just going to take, like, in the purification like example where we had taken liters from each pool to have to be available to develop and tweak our processes we're now taking like just five mils to okay we will have this so we can do some more analytics to know how this compares to the runs compared to each other or to um, different phase one to phase two etc but not like taking a bunch of material that we can do development work. And the same with the formulation team. And then working with QC to really, what is the amount of mass that you need? And you're going to get that material because you need that, but you're not going to get the tenfold more that you normally requested. So you've got listed here on the slide that there's, there's a reduction uh, of bulk mass sampling from 63% to 15%. Yeah, this was one case study where at the very beginning when we put in the standard and I did the math, it's like, wow, you guys are taking 30 63% of the bulk. And when, when we sit down and then talk about it, people get like, wow, that's amazing. And, and they understand that like that's not reasonable so we managed to get back to to uh, 15% and i mean it it's also due to the fact that that we are at very high concentrations and some assays and some sometimes you need a specific volume and not a mass and then the higher in concentration you go the more mass you will lose that's just the way it is right so, so saving these uh, mass sampling endeavors also reduces a lot of other issues with number of runs, product quality, um, what you need for facility space or or not yeah. needed. So, yeah. So, me, I mean, tell me about redu that. Re reducing this, like when we take sixty three percent of our bulk for sampling, I mean, then we need to add on another like three <laughs> runs or something to, to create the mass that we thought we needed from a run. So really minimizing this and then opening up the facility so that our new projects can come in. And these are costs that you can't really calculate because who knows what the costs or what what is the loss of opportunity to not put a new product into a facility? Mm. It's, it, it's very hard to. Yeah, proving a negative say. is very difficult. Yeah, but but opening up the facility and making more space for more projects is really the whole purpose. So we've got a we, we're. Pretty much exactly on time. It's like a Swiss watch here, uh, or at least a clock in a Swiss train station. There is a question that came in, a nice challenging question for you, I think, Josephine, in solidarity for your answering the question. I'm going to wear a scarf just like you. Perfect. Okay. So, um, all right, so we'll be so twins. How much is too little and potentially adding risk? Yeah, I mean, it, it is that whole thing, like how much risk are we prepared to take and I mean so 
did you quantify that? So I guess the question Hamid is asking is, uh, if you had a rubric and you and you said, you know, in 30 seconds or less, here's the napkin math you'd go about. How do you measure how much risk is too much or how much is little enough to be able to undertake? Or is it something more subjective than that? I mean, I, there's really... We will always need to take QC samples so that we can release our material. And that's really the only sample we need. I mean, that's like we do in commercial manufacturing. We don't take a bunch of other samples through. Um, it, it's only what we need for release. And there's no, just by not taking our non-routine samples, we don't really add any risk to any patient or to releasability or to the quality of the material or anything. It's just our own gut feels. And of course, we could do it a bit faster if we had intermediate material to do assessment of issues that arise, but it's not going to, to hurt your overall run. I mean, when something has happened already in the manufacturing facility, it's too late to fix it anyhow because it has happened and you're going to have deviations and maybe lost the, sound, uh, lost the run. I mean, depending on what happened. So yeah. it, it's really too late to assess it then. Yeah. Yeah, I would say... Um for my perspective on this, if you put together a benefit effort grid or quad chart and you started looking at what do we stand to save versus how much effort is it to put in place or a benefit risk grid, uh, so then you're measuring your changes by what do we seek to benefit versus what's the risk of implementing this particular new change. You can semi-quantify it for yourself for what your own organization's idiosyncrasies are. Um, we have one more question too, which is increasing demand for speed to market issues. Okay, I'm not totally sure what that means. I mean, yeah, if you if you need speed to market and in increase demand, then you definitely should not sample as much because you will get more material to the clinic faster. Which so so. This definitely helps with that issue. Um, or it could be conversely. So if you're doing more sampling because you're looking to get to commercialization faster, that poses its own risk or challenge. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go fast to market and you take a lot of material to do your validation work, work later on, I mean, maybe at that point when we've gotten that far in the clinic and you have really promising data, well, maybe then it's worth it because you think that it's going to go to market and you're going to have big revenues from it. So in that case, maybe it is worth producing or taking more samples and and being halfway there with your validation. But I think most of the stuff, when you go early, you have to do as little sampling as possible. Right. Yeah. There is definitely a gradient. 
Agreed. Any parting thoughts for us, Josephine, on on your case study? No, not really. Just keep on changing, adapting people's mindset as you go, whatever it might be around, which issues. Love it. Change is not required because survival is not mandatory. So I guess I'll take it the other way. Uh, You better be prepared to adapt for the future. So thank you very much, Josephine, for for participating today. Uh, I love hearing from you and working with you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please visit evaluatingbiopharma.com to access the on-demand video and to download the summary article. You can also access the Evaluating Biopharma content archive, sign up for our newsletter, and register to attend an upcoming Evaluating Biopharma virtual networking event. Feedback or suggestions? We'd love to hear from you.